Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. Listeners, you will hear my interview with Professor David Franklin momentarily. We recorded it yesterday, which was Tuesday, June 27th, shortly after the news broke of the dismissal of Hans Niemann's lawsuit uh, against Chess.com and company. And you'll hear Professor Franklin's take on that. But I'm just recording a quick addendum here Wednesday morning because we discussed uh, what Hans's side was going to do, whether they might pursue further legal action. And now the Wall Street Journal has reported that they are intending to pursue a defamation claim at the state level. So we didn't know that at the time we recorded, but uh, Professor Franklin actually does discuss that as a possibility in our conversation. So I just wanted to record this update just so you guys are aware of the timeline. And if there is uh, future litigation, again, we we hope there's not future litigation, but if there is, I'm sure we will continue to cover it on the podcast. So everything else that was recorded yesterday, I think will still be helpful, but I did just want to clarify the timeline here on Wednesday morning, New York time, uh, June 28th. So uh, that's all. Here's my conversation with law professor David Franklin about the dismissal of the lawsuit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an unexpected bonus edition of Perpetual Chess. We just decided to do this within the past couple hours here on Tuesday, June 27th, as the news broke that the much-discussed uh, lawsuit where Hans Niemann was suing Chess.com and what was Play Magnus and Daniel Wrench and Hikaru Nakamura and Magnus Carlsen, uh, that lawsuit, that $100 million headline-making lawsuit has been dismissed. And luckily, we have someone more qualified than me here to discuss it. We are joined by returning guest, friend of the pod now, it's official. He is a constitutional law professor who teaches torts and First Amendment law. He's also a practicing appellate lawyer who has argued cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. A lot of you may have heard him discussing this lawsuit when it was first um, filed. That, in fact, was one of the most popular, if not the most popular, uh, episode of Perpetual Chess in history. He's also a USCF expert, so he follows the chess world closely and does not need to 
deconstruct all the chess jargon that might show up. So we are excited to welcome back to the bonus pod, Professor David Franklin. Hello, David. Hey, I'm honored to have uh, FOP status as a friend of the pod. Oh, thank you. Well, really appreciate you're doing this on short notice, especially because I know you're leaving town. So in fact, that's why we decided to do this, not letting the dust settle. The dust is still floating around, but we're going to discuss this lawsuit. So David, I know that you read the um, dismissal. Uh, I know. First of all, we should say that this is basically what you predicted in our prior conversation. So as you read the dismissal, was there anything that caught you by surprise? Um, I think the basis for the dismissal was a little bit more technical than I had expected. Um, uh, but the result is, is as you say, the result that I was expecting. I think a lot of observers were expecting. Um, so, yeah, bottom line, Hans's federal case um, has been dismissed before trial. Um, so he loses unless he appeals the decision. But I don't think he has really grounds for a successful appeal here. Um, he can refile the case in state court, and we can talk about that later. But as of this moment, his federal case is dead. Um, okay. And part of the case, as I understand it, was dismissed with prejudice. So that means he could appeal. Could he even appeal that aspect, which I believe was the antitrust aspect of the case? Yeah, he can appeal it. Um, uh, but as I say, um, I... I doubt that the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to find much merit in, a, in an appeal here. Um, the part of the decision that was um, dismissed without prejudice, what that just means is he is free to refile those claims, but he'll have to uh, refile them in, in state court. Um, and the reason for that is this is the part that I was describing a minute ago as a bit technical. Um, so, um, if we can get into it, I mean, the heart of his case, as we discussed, uh, last time was really the defamation claim, right? Um, and that's a claim, um, under state law, under Missouri state law. Um, and normally those kinds of claims are decided in state court. Um, now Hans filed in federal court. Um, and the rule there is these kinds of claims can be filed in federal court, but only if the parties are citizens of different states. And here's where things get um, pretty wonky. So I'm going to apologize up front to you, your listeners, and I'll try to make this quick. Um, but Hans is a citizen of Connecticut. Um, Chess.com is based in California. So you might think, okay, well, they're from different states. Uh, but not so fast, because Chess.com is set up as an LLC, a limited liability corporation. Um, and the Supreme Court has held that LLCs take on the citizenship of all of their owners. Uh, well, it turns out that one of Chess.com's owners um, is an equity investment firm. And then the owners of that firm, uh, because you can go all the way down, if you keep hitting LLCs, you have to keep penetrating them and finding out ultimately who are the human beings, right, who own uh, those companies. Um, and some of the owners of that underlying equity investment firm apparently are citizens of Connecticut. Whoops, that's Hans's state. And so the judge said to Hans and his lawyers, look, can you show to me why that shouldn't defeat uh, federal jurisdiction? And ultimately, Hans's lawyers have said, yeah, we can't show that. So, so that means that the state law claims 
can't be filed in federal court because you don't have what's called diversity of citizenship. Uh, it's super technical, but this is meat and potatoes for litigators in federal court. It's the kind of thing that federal court litigators and federal court judges deal with um, um, every day. So the state law claims are out or or they're out unless they're closely related to some federal law claim that survives. Um, but as we can talk about uh, next, the federal law claims in the lawsuit were dismissed as well. Okay. So he's unable to pursue a state avenue and the federal claims were dismissed, but he could appeal them? Yes, he could have, He could appeal um, any or all of this, the jurisdictional determination uh, and the federal uh claims dismissal. I mean, basically, to, to quickly cover the federal claims, you may recall that he had antitrust claims. Essentially, he was arguing that Chess.com and Magnus and Play Magnus were getting together and conspiring against him, exploiting their market power uh, to freeze him out of uh, uh, the, the market for competitive chess, a sort of a group boycott claim. Um and I think we we talked about this in our first pod. This was always a weak claim, and the court today zeroed in on on why it was a weak claim. And and the reason is simple: Hans is a chess player. He's not a market competitor to Chess.com. So an injury to him, even if there was one here, it's just not the kind of injury that the antitrust laws were designed to remedy. It's not an injury to competition. Uh, in the space of uh, competitive chess tournaments. So uh, the antitrust claims are dismissed, um, and with them goes the only remaining avenue for the state law claims to survive. They're gone too. Okay. Now, as we discussed in in our first pod, uh, you felt that to the extent that there was any merit in uh, Hans's case, it had more to do with defamation of character, uh, despite it being hard to prove in court, there at least was potentially um, a case there, as opposed to, as you said, the antitrust connection, which was, you know, didn't make much sense to begin with. So if Hans were to step back and want to pursue legal action based on defamation grounds now, has that ship sailed as well? No. So he's free to refile those claims in state court. He could go, presumably, to Missouri State Court. Now, he's going to have to show that defamatory actions were taken against him by these defendants within the territorial limits of the state of Missouri. Um, maybe that happened. You know, there was there was a, an allegation in the complaint, for example, that uh, Magnus was saying things to Michael Kardarkovsky in St. Louis and so forth. And so that would be in, in the state of Missouri. Um, he could presumably file a claim in his own home state of Connecticut. The problem there is that Connecticut has a very strong so-called anti-slap statute that makes it even more difficult to file and prevail on defamation claims than it already is. Um, so in either venue, it's going to be an uphill battle for some of the reasons that we discussed before, namely that at least with respect to this controversy, Hans is what is called a public figure. And under our First Amendment jurisprudence in this country, a public figure has several hurdles that they have to surmount in order to prevail on a defamation claim. 
Uh, most importantly, they have to show that the defendants acted either knowing that what they were saying was false, or at least with reckless disregard for whether or not it was false. And I just think it's going to be very, very difficult for uh, Hans to prove that. It may even be too difficult for him to even get to trial on claims like that in state court. Okay. Um, And we have a couple. I just went to Twitter a few minutes before we were recording to see if there were any questions. And both Christoph Zalecki and Ian Mason uh, were wondering about uh, who would contribute to the cost of the lawsuit so far. Um, is that something that's, I mean, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So, um, in American courts, uh, somewhat uniquely, we're, we're different from most of the rest of the world in this regard. Um, the, uh, parties pay their own costs. Um, there are exceptions to that, uh, in civil rights lawsuits and, and other kinds of particular lawsuits, there might be laws that shift those costs. Uh, from, say, uh, the defendant um, to the plaintiff if the defendant prevails. But I don't think there are any such exceptions here. So each side will will pay its own cost. It might have been different if uh, the lawsuit were filed in Christoph's home country of Germany. By the way, hi, Christoph. Uh, but in the United States, we follow the so-called American rule where you bear your own costs. Okay, and could could any of these entities potentially sue for counter sue, or would, I don't know if it would be called counter sue, but for damages? Um, well, it's hard to see how they were damaged. You mean by the lawsuit itself? Well, just uh, trying to force Hans. I mean, this is seems unlikely hypothetically because they have obviously more uh, resources at their disposal than Hans, but trying to get Hans to to um, bear the, the legal costs that have been incurred. They'd be able to do that, but only if there were a cost shifting statute or exception of the kind that I mentioned a minute ago that applied in a case like this. And I don't see any such uh, rule here. So I don't think they'd get very far trying to do that. Okay. And by the way, when I ask these questions like about Hans potentially suing separately for defamation or any sort of like counter suing or trying to claw back damages, I'm against any more litigation on this matter. Um, if, if it were up to me personally, I'd just like to move on. Hans is playing chess all the time, as I talked about in today's pod that came out with Jan Timmen. He's playing in the Philadelphia Open as we speak. He's played somehow like more than a game a day in the last month. And uh, it'd be great if that continues. But I am just trying to sort of flesh out potential scenarios uh, from here. So would you say, David, that the most likely potential scenario from here is that this thing might really be over? I think it's pretty much over um, unless Hans wants to go forward with an appeal or refile in state court. Uh, But he may choose not to do either one of those things. Look, this may have been his one shot. Uh, We talked last time about how this lawsuit had both potential legal upsides for him, although it was always an uphill battle, uh, but also potentially some PR upsides. Um, He may feel that he's reaped whatever benefits he can in the PR area, and he might want to move on. It's interesting to me, just as a side note, that this story, which was so big uh, last summer and fall, it's really kind of dropped off the radar. I don't uh, hear people talking too much about the Hans cheating scandal, so-called, uh, anymore. And it just feels like it's mostly blown over. Maybe that's because Hans has gotten his you know, nose back to the grindstone and is playing, as you say, 
uh, so much and is keeping his rating, what, around 2690, 2700. Um, no major breakthroughs, but his rating hasn't fallen off either. So yeah, that's probably his real strength. And, and you know, it's a testament to his strength of character that he's able to perform at that level with all the scrutiny that he uh, has received. So the only thing that I'm looking out for is, are there going to be tournaments in the near future where Magnus and Hans, uh, or or possibly Hikaru and Hans, um, are, uh, you know, paired against one another? You know, what what happens? Does Magnus stick to his policy of, of not playing or playing one move and resigning? Uh, that'll be interesting to watch. But otherwise, it feels like the story is really blown over. Yeah. And to my knowledge, Hans, despite the fact that he is playing so actively, I don't believe he's played in any invitational tournaments uh, since um, this whole thing started. So unfortunately, it's not just that he's not being invited to uh, tournaments with Magnus or Hikaru in them, but it seems like he's not being invited to any tournaments. Although, as you say, David, he's showing a pretty good level by even by professional standards. Uh, and maybe if he can raise it a little bit, uh, they won't be able to to ignore what he's done. But as it is now, it does um, raise the challenge for him uh, if he's not getting invitations. Although, as I noted again in my interview with Jan Timmen, he did receive part of the Sanford Fellowship, which is an annual stipend that's given to the top young talents in the United States. So um, from U.S. Chess, he'll be getting $20,000 a year for this coming year. And I believe it usually renews for a second year. So I'm sure that will help. And he's picking up some prize money here and there, here in the Philadelphia Open. He's in first place with like a rounder with only a a few rounds to go. Um, But it's tough at that level to support yourself. And it doesn't seem like he's doing anything else professionally. So um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, and that does raise a sort of interesting legal question, right? Which is, is there any remedy for somebody who is being blacklisted or blackballed, right? I mean, if you've got an entity like chess.com, which let's face it, does have outsized influence in the world of competitive chess, even though they're an online venue, they they clearly, um, you know, can, can sort of... Um, pull their weight around in in the over the board arena to some extent right uh and then you've got magnus himself of course who's the number one player in the world um if there's any truth to the idea that chess.com and magnus sort of got together implicitly or explicitly and said you know let's try to make sure that that folks don't invite uh uh hans to their invitational tournaments um you know is there a legal claim for that? I think the court today makes a good case that the federal antitrust laws are not designed for that kind of scenario. It cites, for example, a, a case in which a particular dog trainer or dog breeder was frozen out of uh, of dog shows, and 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 that person's claim was dismissed on similar basis that uh, they are. A dog breeder. They're not a competitor to, you know, the Westminster Dog Show, and therefore they don't have an antitrust claim. Um, but it does make you wonder whether there's some kind of claim, at least in a context where uh, the folks who are doing the blacklisting allegedly um, have some kind of market power. Um, that's a, I think, relatively unexplored area, as far as I know, uh, of law. It's certainly not one that I know too much about. Um, but you know, there's there's not nothing there um, from the perspective of somebody like Hans, if in fact the cheating allegations against him are false. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Although it's yet another case where like another 50 points of rating (laughs) might make a big difference. You know, when I interviewed Sam Shanklin, he was talking about how he's at a level where he's you're not necessarily he feels like he's too strong for most of the open tournaments, but you're not necessarily getting invited to the Tata Steels um, and Norway chesses of the world if you're, say, number 30 in the world instead of number seven. Um, And I don't know Hans's exact world ranking off the top of my head, but as you say, even consolidating at such a strong level, um, without another push forward, it's not unusual for someone rated 2690, 2700 to not get that many invitations to tournaments. No, it would be interesting to see what happened if, you know, if if Carlson hypothetically were to accuse, I don't know, a 2740 player like, say, Parham Maksudlu of cheating, and I'm not going to play against him and, you know, implying that organizers shouldn't invite him. This is all just hypothetical. I'm just throwing names out at random. Um, would that person really be frozen out or would they continue to get invitations? Maybe the cheating allegation would increase their uh, marketability because fans would be interested to see kind of what happened. So you're right. He's, he's just Hans is just a little bit below that threshold where he can expect to be getting, uh, elite invitations. Yeah. But only 19 and playing all the time. So you never know. We'll be right back to review the statements that have been released in the wake of this lawsuit's dismissal and to wrap things up with professor David Franklin. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just as a matter of housekeeping, I did want to read a few statements have come out. Uh, since this news broke, uh, Magnus Carlson's lawyer said, quote, we're pleased with the we're pleased the court has rejected Hans Neiman's attempt to recover an undeserved windfall in Missouri federal court and that Neiman's attempt to sh- chill speech through strate- strategic litigation in that forum has failed. And then the lawyers of chess.com play Magnus and Daniel Wrench said, quote, we're very pleased with the court's order dismissing Hans Neiman's claims. Our clients are happy to see an end to this saga and are pleased that all parties can now focus on growing the game of chess. And then uh, Daniel Wrench and Eric Albest, the um, uh, 
two heads of chess.com co-issued a statement through chess.com where they said, we're glad to see this ruling. We obviously thought it was a meritless lawsuit that burned a ton of time and money, but we have a stewardship to protect the game. We appreciate our amazing legal team for their diligence and commitment to the cause. Where do we go from here? We remain 100% focused on what we always have been, growing the game and serving the community. And in a write-up that just went up from chess.com by Peter Doggers, he said that there was no comment uh, from Ovid and Ovid from uh, Hans Niemann's lawsuit uh, law firm as of yet. And of course, Hans is uh, busy playing chess and has been keeping a low profile. But as far as far as I know, though, that those are the only entities we have not yet heard from. Um, they probably will um, choose their words uh, uh, and next action a bit more carefully. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully the chess world can get back to normal, put this behind them. You and I can go back to talking about Jonathan Rousen books or something like that. And everyone will be uh, better off for it. Exactly. Yeah, that'll be coming hopefully later this month. Uh, David will be revisiting the podcast. So any uh, closing thoughts, um, David? I feel like we've pretty much covered what there is to cover. I guess the ball, as we said, is in Neiman's court um, and we wait. Yeah, I mean, my only closing thought would be the same, I, I think, as the closing thought that we ended on in our first pod, which is the broader issue or the broader threat of cheating, um, including over the board cheating, um, remains something that the chess world has to solve. Um, it's it, it's technologically feasible, or so it seems. Um, and of course, engines are far stronger than the strongest humans. So the incentive to cheat is there. And unless and until the chess world comes up with some solution to that, um, I think it's going to place a damper on the growth and the popularity of the game. Yeah, uh, certainly um, a bit of a dark cloud that looms over it, although the game doesn't seem to be suffering too much. And one other aspect I should have mentioned is the the f- uh, alleged FIDE investigation. <laughs> FIDE, of course, has been saying that they're investigating this on their own, but their statements have been uh, pretty sparse. I'm looking it up uh, now, David, but do you remember what the last we heard uh, from FIDE was? I think it was a non-statement statement. They they had created some sort of commission to look into this, and lo and behold, the commission didn't come forward with any findings. Yeah. They, they fide-aid the situation. If that's <laughs> yes, right. they did. Yeah, so uh, maybe the, another statement will emerge at some point, but I think we would both be surprised if there's a, a bombshell emanating from uh, from that investigation. Well, I'll take one last look online, David, but I think we've got all of uh, the online questions answered. And yeah, I mean, like you, I hope that there's no counter lawsuits. And I hope that um, that we can that Hans, if he's if he's deserving by performance of being invited to tournaments, I hope that that happens. Um, but in the meantime, I mean, it's a, a lot to recover from, but uh, and and a lot to be done in the realm of um, of uh maintaining the integrity of competitive chess but uh hopefully at least this little story can be put to bed agreed and always good to talk with you ben yeah thank you so much for doing this on short notice david really appreciate it no problem take care
Social Podcast Network.